Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Matt Salem, and you've tuned in to another episode of the award-winning podcast series, Our Best Behavior, brought to you by Behaviorally. We are the global digital first leader in defining and diagnosing human behavior to help you achieve the most valuable moment in marketing when a purchase transaction occurs. We are Behaviorally, the transaction experts. Each month, we share insights on trending topics within our industry and of interest to our customers. Today, we're joined by Darren Rubel, Consumer Insights at Nestle USA. Darren, pleasure to have you with us here. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Well, I am really excited to have you because not only do I know there will be great conversation around the subject matter at hand, which I'll leave our audience guessing for a moment, but just on a personal basis, always a pleasure to speak with you. And I was hoping you could maybe give a bit of that personal info to our audience today and tell them a bit about yourself. Sure, thanks. So uh, as you know, I'm a career market researcher. I started my career on the agency side before moving over to corporate research. I've had all kinds of roles, global, US-focused, consumer, B2B, brand, shopper, innovation. I worked in pet food and pharma, contact lenses and CPG. But for the last 10 years, I've been with the Nestle Foods division. And that meant I've been working on big brands like Stouffer's, DiGiorno, Lean Cuisine, Life Cuisine, Hot Pockets, and helping to grow that business. Very cool. Very cool. And, you know, with that kitchen sink, if you will, of experience, um, which is perhaps appropriate being that you ended up dealing with food day in and day out, you know, hoping you could give me a bit on what you've seen over the years in terms of differing trends when it comes to insights. I mean, you know, thinking back to when I started in this business, I was spending literally quite a few hours a week in a copy room running off paper surveys. I mean, wow, have times changed? And that's just a very small microcosm of the changes that have occurred. So, you know, curious to hear your thoughts over the years on how you've seen marketing research evolve. Sure. So I've been in market research now, you know, more than two decades, which is a really long time. Because <laughs> I remember too, when I started in my career, the long timers would say, you know, they had to program punch cards to be able to <laughs> analyze the data. And I was still monitoring call centers whenever I kicked off a survey because we were mostly using telephone surveys, right? So, mm. you know, a lot of the evolution comes down to how easy it is now for us to connect with our consumer and spend time with them. I'm using in the moment tools more and more for things like remote interviewing, for shop alongs, for consumers to be able to give us pantry tours, you know, things we used to only be able to do in person. So this means more agile, iterative learning has become a big part of what we do. You know, for example, when I joined Nestle, we created an innovation team separate from the marketing team. And one of the initiatives that we put together were the ability to run week-long sprints where we moved from literally ideation on day one to concept development on day two to putting together prototypes with our chefs or with our pack designers day three, to bringing in consumers for feedback and refinement on day four. So that week-long process really replaced what used to take us months. It's crazy to think how far it's come in relatively short time, right? I mean, 20 years on the one hand may seem long, but wow, I mean, 20 years can also fly by, particularly as you get older, time goes faster. We all know that. Um, I do love the amount of access that you have to food and tasting. I'll probably digress on that note, but being the foodie that I am, I always love hearing those stories. You know, you mentioned interestingly in the moment, you mentioned understanding the pantry. 
Now, historically, for us here at Behaviorally, a lot of the focus has been on brick and mortar environment, right? But another change that is a must at this point and a transition that we are all going through is the impact of the e-commerce market. And I'm curious to get your take on e-commerce. You know, it's different, I would say, according to sector too, right? Some sectors are likely more heavily influenced by e-commerce, relatively speaking, than others. So how are you seeing that come into the mix day to day? Yeah, in foods, e-commerce is about you know, 10 to 15% of our business, and it's growing exponentially every year. So the ways that we message consumers, the way that we're trying to get them to notice our products when they go to either you know, retailer websites or even our own website is constantly evolving. It is an area where I would say we're just starting to dip our toe in understanding how those messages need to evolve or how we might want to show consumers our products in a different light to make sure that they they stand out, but definitely becoming more and more important. We have an Omni team that that has been growing and giving us good guidance the past, I'll say, you know, five years or so. Mm. You know, when you think about e-commerce and brick and mortar together and the intersection thereof, there's obviously that path to purchase for shoppers where it's a mix, right? I mean, shoppers are touching online, touching in-store at various points throughout their shopping process. And there's not necessarily a direct route, right? If you look at some of these kind of maps of how shoppers approach a specific product category, there's places where the map kind of detours, it's circular, it can split and fork in the road, it could come back to point A or point B. I mean, it's not very linear in fashion, I guess, best said. And, you know, I'm wondering, what are some of the trending techniques you, know, you mentioned in the moment, but perhaps other techniques that you're leveraging in order to best observe human behavior? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to understand human behavior. We're trying to impact human behavior. And certainly behaviorally is named because that is what our focus is on. So curious to get your take on how you're leveraging different research techniques to ensure that you're getting at understanding that human behavior and what drives it? Yeah. Well, one of the things that's always excited me about research is exploring and testing out new approaches, uh, not just new for new sake, but that really help us you know, either do our jobs better or uncover better, deeper insights. So one of the things that, that excites me is that we're incorporating more behavioral science and AI into our toolkits. And I love how behavioral science is blending with a lot of the tried and true techniques that we use, like uh, you know, even idea screening or persona building. It's just helped us make better decisions. So for example, we no longer screen ideas based on just a quick quant survey with the same old traditional core metrics. You know, We're more and more using tools that use a quick swipe methodology or paired choice methodology so we can get preference, but also like a pseudo passion score based on how fast the respondent makes their choices. Mm -hmm. So that's helped us find interesting like niche ideas or flavors that are just emerging. And, you know, for AI, I've used tools in live online sessions that identify the themes in real time. We'll say across, you know, hundreds or thousands of open-end text responses. Same to try to find patterns um, 
that help us improve our advertising or packaging. So I've used AI that can look at you know, thousands of advertising or packaging evaluations and give us a normative scorecard you know, in, in a day's time or sometimes even in just hours. So again, it helps us better predict market success or identify optimization opportunities. So just getting deeper with our consumer has been you know, a huge step forward for us as a research team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and going into AI in particular, I mean, it's becoming much more pervasive within our day-to-day, certainly here at Behaviorally, but I think that's a reflection of where the industry is going and where marketing research is going because there's so much data, you know, big data, that's the term you you still hear, right? And there's so much data out there that with a lot of it being unstructured and a lot of it still being mineable, we need help as humans to get at those nuggets and insights. And AI is something that can really help because it does exactly what you had mentioned, right? It kind of identifies those patterns for us in a way that is much quicker, much more agile, much more efficient than we could as researchers if we were pouring through it day in and day out. So, you know, here at Behaviorally, we've made a decided, uh, decided intent. With decided intent, we have forayed into AI and have yep. made sure that we incorporated that alongside of our database, which is which is huge. Because how could we comb through all this data and come up with these trends, these insights on our own? I mean, it would take years, literally, and AI could do it in minutes. So. It's, it's nice seeing that incorporated in kind of day-to-day. And I'm curious, when you think about AI and linking it to normative data, how are you ensuring that it's being leveraged in a way that's going to be beneficial to you? I mean, you know, I'm assuming that AI, on the one hand, could provide you a bunch of keywords that pop up if it's analyzing text, right? But on the other hand, if I think about how we're using it, it's more so to comb through behavioral data points, which may have more value in certain situations and certain types of research. So curious if you're seeing delineations in how AI is being used. Yeah, sure. Uh, you hit the nail on the head when you said the biggest opportunity with AI is finding those patterns that maybe you didn't see, right? And so that's a huge benefit. We do that in, in many ways. One of the one of the biggest success stories that I've had with AI in the last couple of years was using AI to help us build out our personas for our brand users. So, you know, in the past, we would have maybe fielded some quant surveys and spent some time with consumers, you know, in ethnography or in focus groups. But in addition to that work, we were able, you know, to use AI to scrub, you know, digital and social platforms and, and really help us to get to that deeper level with our consumer. And I saw that impacting every element of our business from, you know, not only marketing, but a lot of the, the communications work we were doing, what we were thinking about from a, from a packaging hierarchy standpoint, how our comms plans came together. So that deeper understanding is, is what really comes from AI these days. Mm, Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Another thing as, as you're sitting and saying that that comes to mind is our ability to leverage what we've learned in a way that we don't have to learn the same thing time and again, right? Because when you think about conducting individual research programs, 
there's always going to be changes in terms of the personnel that is executing the research, the people that are working on the brand, et cetera. And inevitably, some of the knowledge that may be carried by others is lost when there's changes that are made in personnel, for example. So when you have the power of AI and it can leverage historical data points, for example, you can ensure that those learnings continue to get carried forward because they're going to be incorporated within the research being conducted. So, you know, and just thinking about some of the work that we're doing here, we're looking at leveraging AI to comb norms and leverage that past work to help inform future decision-making. And I think that's another powerful piece because it'll help supplement potential knowledge gaps that can occur with all of the changes that happen naturally in day-to-day business. Yeah, that's very true. Here at Nestle, we have obviously a lot of people focused on the nutritional aspects of the meal, the culinary aspects of the meal, putting together you know, a, a wonderfully good tasting product. And uh, AI can help us supplement that work. It's not going to necessarily replace it. For example, we do have some tools that can help us identify, you know, again, maybe through digital and social scrubbing or some databases of, of trends, what is happening in food next. And even sometimes map that out on an adoption curve, right? From things that are just emerging to things that have a little bit more popularity to things that are ubiquitous in, in the market. And that helps us to plan and even design the types of products that we're going to bring to market. What are some of the favorite innovations that you've worked on that have come to the marketplace that perhaps leverage some of the techniques that we've discussed today? Whether it's a favorite just because of the proposition itself being unique and cool or something that, frankly, you just love the way it tastes. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> most recently, we've been using these AI tools to help us on the comm side of the business more than ever before. So just wanted to make sure that I mentioned this isn't only something that's helping us in the product development space. But from a product development standpoint, you know, we mentioned using AI to help us optimize messaging or optimize packaging, but we've just started exploring using AI in the same way on the sensory side of the business for product. So it's funny, we certainly on, on our Stouffer's brand business spend a lot of time in the lasagna space. You know, it's one of our most popular parts of our business. Mm. And through that AI work, we were able to identify, you know, some different directions to take our products in. So I can't necessarily tell you today what we're doing, but it's very exciting and and going to help us hit our ambitions for growth over the next few years. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I know in working with you that you, as you mentioned earlier, are always genuinely interested in and excited to leverage those new tools that are out there. And I know you've personally done that with us. And it's great to see that genuine enthusiasm. So I look forward to when when that comes to market and more can be told, perhaps we'll have you come back and maybe we'll even get to do a taste test or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a funny that's a funny aside as well. Not so much AI related, but we have an R and D center here in our offices in Northern Ohio. And pre COVID, we very often brought in you know our brand users or consumers or or our friends and neighbors to to try our product. You know, we're always looking to to get that feedback. We don't launch any products without 
having a, a taste test win versus our competition. We're very focused on that. So any of these tools that help us get deeper in into what's driving the liking for our products is always going to be helpful. Absolutely. And excite me. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about the evolution of insights. We talked about new tools that are being used, obviously some focus on artificial intelligence and how that's helping us day to day. How do you see insights further evolving in the upcoming years? Are there any particular fronts that you haven't gotten to experiment with yet, and perhaps we're not quite there yet, but you do see it coming in the future, or you do have interest in incorporating those types of tools into your day-to-day? -day. Yeah, so we actually just wrapped up a what we're calling you know, a shark tank approach to bring in some, some new tools and techniques and agencies that we haven't worked with before in the Nestle Foods division. And, and I'm really excited for some of the AI message optimization tools that we've already talked about and expanding those into product sensory, like I already mentioned. But we also have, have the ability just to get deeper with consumers from a, from a video interviewing in the moment standpoint. So tons of agencies have tools that that can help us get closer to the consumer, but might not necessarily help us make them actionable, you know, as actionable yeah. as they need to be. So that's where we're we're spending a lot of our time thinking, trying to make this data more actionable and agencies and new tools that can help us do that will will end up part of our toolkit. I'm curious, thinking about consumers getting closer to consumers, do you see VR or AR coming into the mix to help you get closer, you know, putting something literally right in front of the shopper, even though it might not be the actual product, but, you know, giving them the ability to have a prototype in front of them, quote unquote, but from a distance at the same time, you know, you're not behind the glass as you would be historically say in a qualitative setting, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I saw a virtual demo of a consumer going through the car purchasing cycle. And actually I ended up going through that myself uh, in the middle of COVID, which wasn't so great, <laughs> but the VR allowed you to sit in the car, check out all the features and the interior. It was, it was pretty cool. So I could see an evolution for food research where you could simulate a full dinner experience, right? With all the sights and sounds and, you know, maybe it's augmented reality beyond virtual reality and you're smelling the meal and having that, that full experience. And one of the things that excites me for, for VR too is that it's a great next step for being more inclusive, particularly for, for underserved communities. Uh, we're, um, like I just saw a stat that people with disabilities is actually the biggest minority group in the world, which mm. blew my mind. And so, you know, anything we can do as big companies to help any, any underserved communities is a huge bonus and, and something that we can be proud of. Yeah, that's a, that's a very uh, interesting stat and interesting point because those people are to be honest and thinking about what you said 
less likely to take part in some of the traditional survey approaches that are out there, right? Mm -hmm. So any way that we could facilitate that, you know, we're going to capture another audience and a meaningful audience, and it's going to be helpful to everyone involved. So yeah, that is an interesting stat and an interesting point you raised. I guess as we, as we begin to close out, I always like to pop in a, pop in a question or two, perhaps a bit more personal, um, not too personal. So don't let me, don't let me scare you off on that, but let me hear about your favorite aisle to shop in. And maybe let me hear about your most recent experience at a ball game. Okay. Well, <laughs> and you know why I went with the later Thanks one. Let our audience, let our audience know. <laughs> Let's just start with the baseball question then. Sure. Uh, Matt and I, you know, we've worked together for years. Uh, him as a Mets fan and I as a Yankees fan. So we've always had that friendly rivalry. But I did coordinate this weekend with my son who's away at college. And I have another son still at home so that we could make the trip from just outside of Cleveland, Ohio to New York for the game this weekend against Houston, thinking that it would be a much more competitive game than it really was. So thanks for bringing that up, Matt, but it was super fun. Great time. Uh, Kids made the best of it. Totally. We even started a Rizzo chant, whether it was like the seventh or eighth or so when he came up with guys on base for our whole section. So it was fun. Um, I don't take any pleasure in the Mets not doing well. I've told you that before too. I much prefer when they're both doing well and hopefully we get another subway series sometime soon. I'm at a point in my life where I could say the same about the Yankees. It wasn't quite like that back in the day after losing in the World Series to them, but you know, time heals all wounds, as they say. So, um, yeah, I, I I love that you did that with your children. That's just a great experience, and I'm sure you made the best of it. And and why I wanted to bring it up because I know overall some fun had to be had. And um, all jokes aside, very cool. So I guess let's end on the note. What's what's your favorite aisle to shop in? I mean, tell me it's frozen food or tell me it's something else. Let's hear <laughs> no, what no, it is. This, this is where I might go with this question. Okay. You know, I get inspiration and new thinking from everywhere and anywhere, right? So when I shop, I'm, of course, paying attention to other maybe food aisles uh, for that inspiration, but really mostly outside of Frozen is where I try to, to think, break myself out of that same way of thinking. And I try to do the same thing with my teams here too, to always say we can get inspiration from anywhere. So let's do that. I particularly have been spending time looking at the refrigerated section lately to try to think about, you know, how we could, how we could rival some of those products. Uh, But really it's everywhere and anywhere. That's, that's what I say. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And I like that it's actually perhaps the opposite of what some may have thought, right? It's it's not yeah. the frozen food. Well, section. and I'll, hey, I'll throw that right back at you. How about that? What are your Ooh. thoughts when you're out there uh, shopping? You paying a lot of attention to, and we've worked mostly on packaging or yep. are you thinking yep. more broadly than that? Well, I have to say, uh, as some know, and as you know, being the, the craft beer connoisseur that I am, I always find that aisle interesting to shop for a variety of reasons. I'll touch on some of them, but, um, you know, essentially I, I love getting invested into the copy on the packs and understanding the story behind the brand. And I think that's a big piece of, uh, the craft experience. I also just find it interesting how segmented the category is. So with the proliferation of craft beer, 
you know, it's one facing of this, one facing of that, one facing of the next for the majority of the aisle. And just the whole idea of breaking through in that aisle is such a challenge. And I can't help but find myself, particularly given my day to day, often wondering in the aisle, like, hey, you know, how how is this brand thinking about breaking through? Because either, you know, it's not doing it well or it's doing it well. And, you know, I might be a bit extreme because I'm the type of guy that's going from left to right in a very uh, specific fashion, looking at each and every one in the door many times if I have the time while I'm at the store. But, um, you know, there's other times and a lot of times when I don't have the time where it's what breaks through to me, you know, and, and that gets that gets sure, me yeah. thinking about it. So that, that's yeah, something great. that I uh, spend spend some good time in. Thank you for flipping it to me on that, Darren, by the way. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, well, look, I, I really appreciate First of all, the time that you were able to give to us today. I know you've been quite busy, so thank you very much. Uh, Sincerely appreciated from all of us here at Behaviorally, particularly myself. Um, It's been a great discussion. I just thank you for being our guest. And to our audience, thanks for tuning in to Our Best Behavior, brought to you by Behaviorally. Darren, hope to have you on again sometime. And for everyone else out there, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Darren. Great. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too.